Well, will you pre- please just extend your hand? We want to pray for him uh, and, and Betsy and their family as they enter this uh, well-deserved time of rest. Mm. Lord, we just thank you for Mark. We thank you for his life. We thank you that he has said yes to your call, that his entire family has said yes uh, to your call. Mm. And the call is a good one. It's a, it, there's no greater call, uh, Lord, than to live with you and serve with you and mm. for you. And so I just, I just pray that you would bless him, that, that the tanks that were depleted, that you would fill and replenish with overflowing in Jesus' name, that it really would be a time of rest, that um, the family would feel the rest and they mm. would feel the blessing and the peace of these, um, these long years that have been good ones but, but hard. And so we just pray for your redemption there of any energy that's been lost in Jesus' name. And we pray that you'd bless him this morning as he brings the word we ask that you would speak life and life more abundantly into our hearts, that we would be ready not just to get filled and fed, but to uh, take what you're giving us and apply it and receive it and pour it out into someone else's life. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do right now in this time. May we focus on who you are and what you want to do in us and through us right now. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. How is everyone? Good? Great. <laughs> we have some very good people here. Well, it's, you know, it's the Sunday after Easter, and, and I always get concerned about kind of Easter hangovers because you know, we build up to this big moment, and you probably never heard those put together, have you? But, you know, it, it's kind of the ongoing life. And Brendan said last Sunday, he, he said, Easter Sunday is meant to be lived on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of our everyday we're living out Easter Sunday. And so, you know, I wanted to pick up, and I, I, this week I, I was reminded of a, a funny story of a family that um, was actually headed out to the Palm Sunday service. And um, they have several kids, and their uh, young boy, four years old, had strep throat. So the mom decided, you know, we better not take you and put you in the nursery. And so grandmom came and stayed with the little boy on Palm Sunday, and the rest of the family took off for church. And so um, church is over, and they come back, and he sees his brothers and sisters with the palm branches, which when you're four years old, that's very cool, right? So he's in awe. He's like, wow, palm branches. What are those for, you know? And, and then the mom kind of gets down, and she goes, well, what these are for is when Jesus comes, you know, the people wave them. And all of a sudden, this little four-year-old boy's face just falls, and he goes, and he starts to have tears roll down there. And she goes, honey, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. <laughs> and we can go through life feeling a little bit like that little guy. When is Jesus going to show up? Brennan had a whopping 20 minutes to really open a, a very challenging passage last Sunday. And we were talking about we could spend 20 weeks on this passage so I, I just want to run another lap through, if I could, and um, I'm going to take a slightly different angle than Brendan, kind of add my angle to it, because he was talking about access to God, but I sat there and I thought, how come it, it doesn't feel like I have access to God? Or here's the question, what do I do when it feels like God's not answering, or I can't, he's not there? What do I do with that? Because you could hear a very good message from Brendan about, we have access from God, but what about when we don't really feel it, don't know what to do with it? So if you'd open your Bibles to Romans 5, we're going to read the first five verses. 
And we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So I start to wonder, when I hear Brendan read this, did anybody notice that middle part? Verses 3 through 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Look again. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering? Really? And I thought he read the passage and no one was like, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. What? What? That's in the Bible? Yeah. Glory in your suffering? Really? For real? That? We don't, sometimes we skip past it. We go, oh yeah, glory in your suffering. I hope that doesn't happen to me. You know, but we need to notice this. We need to take another look at it. We need to get a hold of this because the passage is offering us an entire Easter package that helps us actually glory in our suffering our hardship, our trouble. The New Living Translation, sometimes they do such a great job of unpacking phrases. And I want to read you just these two verses, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. It says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. It's undeserved, isn't it? That's what it's all about, grace. Undeserved privilege. It says we've been brought in where we now sit, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We are going to glory. There is a heaven, and we're going. Jesus has gone on ahead to prepare a place for us, right? That's awesome news. And we go, oh, man, we are looking forward to the day where we will be gathered with loved ones in a perfect place where there's no pain. There is no suffering. There's no sorrow. But see, it's not only that. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. You see, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, Easter has promised not just for later, but for here and now. It releases us from our past. It prepares us for a future. But it also propels us through what we're presently experiencing. And we can actually, through the Easter promises, glory in our sufferings. That just seems weird. Honestly, doesn't it? Because the word glory means to boast. It means to brag. How are you, Mark? I'm going through a really hard time, but it's awesome. That just bends your brain, doesn't it? You'd be like, I'm calling Brennan. This guy needs two months off, you know? We don't normally do that. But Paul is saying there is a place that you can get to because of the Easter promise that prepares you and propels you through hardship. 
Not just where you get through and go, oh, gosh, I'm so glad that was over. But you get through and you're like, yes, that is what we want. And the key is in a word. It's right here. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, a character and hope. We don't hear enough sermons about perseverance, endurance. The word literally means in the Greek, happy and certain hope. Ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, your hope is not some whim. It's not I'm hoping on a falling star. It's not like, oh, I hope this all works out. Your hope is built on nothing less than Christ. He has conquered death, and he lives. Nothing by any means shall stop him or separate you from him. Your hope is fixed on the eternal, almighty Son of God. It's stationed there. You see, no matter where we are, no matter what we go through, we have this realization because of Easter, man, Jesus wasn't just dead. We know the story. We've seen the pasture. We see the blood, the, the brutality. That's incredible. He wasn't just dead. He was beaten to a pulp. Up from the grave he rose. Up from the grave he rose. And, and out of that, there is, a, there is a place that we can station ourselves and say, I have a happy hope. I can trust in that. My train's coming. My God's coming. Jesus is coming. I told a story about a kid, Leonard Symington. I knew really all, all the years that I was going to elementary school, and junior high, and high school. Leonard was a little guy, and uh, unfortunately, he had contracted uh, MS early on in his life. And eventually, he also had muscular dystrophy. And, you know, as a little guy in third grade, it's tough anyhow. And I grew up in a German town, blue collar German town where you were either getting beaten up or you were beating somebody up. It was just a small food chain. You know, it was crazy. It was a rough place. And poor Leonard Symington, I mean, these, these bullies in the class were brutal. They would mock him. They'd push him around. They'd pick on him. And, you know, it, it wasn't enough to pick him on at school. They'd typically pick on him when he got off the bus and start making his, his run for home. And in this one particular day, he'd been picked on and he was... Poor kid coming across, running to his yard, and he's kind of whimpering. You can imagine a little guy like that. And next to him was uh, a big star football player. And Port Washington was a football town. I mean, it was, it was like the Pittsburgh Steelers. It had that kind of vibe to it. And Big Mike was a big guy. Uh, I don't know what position he was, but he was the kind of guy that when you're in elementary school, you just kind of like... And it seems like they go on forever. And he was wide as he was tall. And Big Mike had, a, had taken a, a real liking to Leonard. And so he had he'd gotten down in the front yard after this most recent bullying. And he said to Leonard, he said, listen, what's going on? And so Leonard told him, and he said, I promise you, next week I'll be watching you. I'll have your back. I promise you. And to, to Leonard, this was sweet music to his ears. So the next day, the next week, on Monday, Leonard's getting off the bus, and these bullies start doing their thing, bullying him. And Leonard's thinking in his head, Mike's coming, Mike's coming. And Mike doesn't come. 
But it says a lot about Leonard's confidence in Mike because he told the guys, he goes, you guys better stop picking on me because Big Mike's coming. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuesday rolls around. Bus pulls up. They start picking on him again. Leonard tells them, you guys better not mess around. Big Mike's coming. He's coming. And they're like, yeah, and they pick on him, and he survives Tuesday. Leonard has not lost hope. Wednesday comes. Those boys start picking on Leonard. All of a sudden, from the backyard, Big Mike comes rolling out in full sprint. He grabs those bullies like sacks of potato, and whoosh, they're just flying around like footballs in the air. And Leonard's like, he knew his hope was coming. How much more, people, can we have confidence that big Jesus is coming? He is coming. We can have confidence. He has come. He is here. He will come. He is coming. Surer than Big Mike. So this key of perseverance, especially when we're going through a hard time, is critical. And what Paul gives us is three practices that fuel the perseverance. This is where Brendan didn't have enough time last Sunday to really talk to you about this, but they're key. Perseverance is the key. We, our faith grows. It happens with endurance. I told the first service when I quit playing football, I was about 215. I was a power lifter. You know, so all I did was I ran 10, 20-yard sprints. That was about it. And then I lifted lots of weights. So I was grog. And for some reason, I thought, I should start doing distance running. What a stupid thought. So I bought a pair of running shoes. I laced them up, and I went out the door. I didn't stretch, didn't warm up. Didn't, I just start running. And, you know, it's kind of going okay, but I get to the corner of the block, and my lower back just went, Ow! and then my quads cramped. So there I am, this big guy going, ha, ha, you know, just made it just down the street. I thought, this is terrible. What am I going to do? But you see, endurance grows. Perseverance grows. Because I'm not going to quit. So, next day, lace it up. I make it to the corner. I don't cramp up quite yet. Get across the road. Cramp. And I said, I'm going to walk for a little while. And I'm going to run for a little while. And I started just doing that kind of a rhythm. And I'm growing my endurance. And so, one week passes, I can make it around the block. Two, three weeks pass, you know, I'm, I'm going a little bit further. I get down to four weeks, and I think, I'm going to enter a road race. I don't know what in the world got in my head to think I should enter a road race. I'm still 215 pounds. I look like the Incredible Hulk on a breakaway. What about running? And so I enter this 5K, and I think, you know, my, my best bet is to get up in the front. So I'm walking through with all the people, and I get up to the front, and I'm, I'm down like this, and I'm ready for the guy to... To do the start. It was a whistle, I guess, or a horn. And I'm, I'm there, and I look like some misplaced hulk from the weight room, and there's all these skinny people there. All these skinny people up front. I'm kind of looking at them going, man, you should eat a cheeseburger or something, you know. But I'm there, and, and I think, okay. So the, the horn goes off, and everyone takes off, and I think, well, I got to keep up with the Joneses, so I'm sprinting, you know, sprinting. And it looks good for 40 yards, 50 yards, 60. 70, <gasps> lock up. My endurance had not grown to that place, but it was growing. And as Christians, our faith is growing. It's meant to grow like that through constant practice and training. So these three practices will help us. And let me give them to you. Write them down. 
Number one, we need to remember. That's such an important practice to remember. And I'm going to elaborate on what I mean by this. Number two, we need to relate. Christianity is a religion about a relationship. We have gained access through someone. So we want that relationship to stay current. And we need to rejoice. So let's talk about these because Paul does. And they're critical. First, remember. The passage opens up by saying, therefore. Remember that in verse 1? Therefore. When you see a therefore in the Bible, what should you do? See what it's there for. Yes. What is it connecting to? And what Paul is building on here is he's connecting to justification. And the whole book of Romans is about justification. It's why Martin Luther grabbed it and it dug deep in his heart and the Reformation was launched through the book of Romans because it's all about justification by faith. And we often don't think about what it means to be justified, to be made right. You see, if you don't understand that you are right with God, then you are busy trying to get right with God. And it's exhausting. It is not easy to persevere when you're going through a hardship, when you've got your little scorecard or checklist that you're trying to do to keep up, to make up, to get up, to stay up. That's not how it works. You see, justification is established by the one who can justify. So Easter's all about a historical change. Up until that point in time when the eternal courtroom was open and the, the great and almighty judge came in and held court, if someone was died, the angel of death would present, Mark Spencer's dead. And the records of Mark Spencer's life would be open. And we know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. But if Mark Spencer's alone in this and he's got a record, he's in trouble. But on Easter Sunday, something was different. The angel of death shows up and announces, we've got Jesus of Nazareth who's died. And God the Father sits down and opens the courtroom. And he announces to the courtroom, who shall bring charges against this Jesus of Nazareth? It's pretty quiet. Finally, some demon shouts out, well, he says he's the son of God. And the father says, well, by golly, he is. Next. Another one shouts back from over there. Ah, well, he, he spent time with people of ill repute, prostitutes and bad people. Yes, but did he engage in bad things? Well, no. Next. Are there any other charges that anyone will bring against this Jesus of Nazareth? Nothing? No one? And at that point in time, for the first time since the fall of the garden, the gavel fell. Innocent! And all of heaven erupted. Innocent! Now there's a man, innocent, who's lived his life by faith, trusting in, relying on, leaning on this Jesus of Nazareth is innocent. And God declares, and you, therefore, are eternal life. You, therefore, are the tree of life. You, therefore, are the one to restore the life lost in the garden 
You, therefore, are the Savior of all because you're innocent. And then, when Mark Spencer dies, people say, who will bring charges against Mark Spencer? There's a host of people. I got a complaint. The guy's a creep. (laughs) You know, who knows what they'd say? And you know what happens? Jesus goes, he's mine. I bring him in, and I can, because I am the life. Mark doesn't get in because of Mark. Mark gets in because of Jesus. And I'm justified. Think about it this way. Rolls-Royce is one of the most storied cars throughout automobile history. This guy has a Rolls-Royce and decides he's going to ferry it across and drive around in Europe. He'd rather hit the roads than take the rail. And so as he's out driving around with his Rolls, all of a sudden something goes wrong with it. It's just not operating the way it should. And so he calls up Rolls-Royce and he says, you know, I'm having auto problems. I'm wondering if you know, I can get some help. What should I do? And the person says, listen, where are you? Gets their address. Said, we're going to fly a mechanic in tomorrow, and they will fix your car. And so Rolls-Royce flies a mechanic in who works on the car, repairs it, gets it humming, works just great. Flies out. The guy continues his trip, driving in his Rolls-Royce. When he gets home, he thinks, boy, I'm going to have quite a bill. So he calls Rolls-Royce, and he says, listen, um, I'm a little scared to ask this, but I had a car repair done, and you flew the mechanic to said site, and he fixed the car. It worked wonderfully. The operator says, well, would you hold a second? I'll check the records. The person goes to check the records, comes back on the phone and says, we could find no record of a repair. He says, no, 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 it happened on this day, and it was, here's where I was, and the mechanic came, and he fixed it. I was there. He had Rolls-Royce gear on and the whole nine yards. He said, no, there's, there's, there's no record of that repair occurring. In fact... The operator said, we have no records of a Rolls-Royce ever being repaired. If that's what it's like to be in a Rolls-Royce, what is it like to be in Jesus? When you're justified, we have no record. Oh, you must have a record of Mark Spencer. Gideon's like, can't find it. So you've got to remember that you are justified in Christ. There is no record that stands against you. Because oftentimes when we're persevering through something, we're also caught in this anxiety of somehow we've got to get better, do better, be better. And we're not operating from a place of freedom and justification. We're operating from a place of anxiety and fear. Remember. Secondly, Relate. We hear oftentimes that Christianity is a religion about relationship. And Paul talks about we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this idea of a relationship. And Brendan didn't have time to elaborate on this, but the word that he was talking about last Sunday, access, is a political term. And it's a term that's used for when someone is ushered into the presence of a higher power. It could some ruler, some king, some powerful personality. 
but they can't gain entrance unless they've got someone to usher them in. And so the whole concept of access is built around someone ushering you in. And oftentimes, when we're struggling or when we're suffering, we think, ah, I can't, I can't get there. And you've lost sight that Christianity is a religion about relationship. It is not just you apart, it is with. That's why Jesus says some things so frankly. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is why when Brennan was talking a couple of months ago and he, and he laid this out, it was so clear in talking with him about this revelation that God was giving him. I think, man, if you, could, if you would sum up the gospel, the gospel is probably best summed up in the word with. With. With Jesus. With Jesus. And when we're going through suffering, usually at that point in time, we lose sight. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm going through a hard time, I'm hard on myself. I usually try to explain, oh boy, I must have really messed up. God's not happy with me, and I'm getting one royal spanking. And I feel alone in it. But I've forgotten the words of Hebrews 12, where it says endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because God is treating you as children. He's training you through the hardship. And I've noticed in my life that when I go through a hard time, there's two different ways I can do it. I can go through the rough ride of isolation, trying to do it on my own strength and earn my way back, or I can do it with Jesus and understand it's training. But training for my first marathon was brutal, but I was glad I did it. Because there I was, I was still about 200 pounds, running along, and I'm watching these skinny people drop. <laughs> I've been training 18 miles. Sorry, you got late cramps. I've been training 19, 20, and all the way along. Training. We've got to train out of relationship. We are with Jesus. He is the one who brings us in. It looks like this. Paul, I need you. Paul's going through a hard time. He's suffering. He's lost. He didn't know what to do. The introducer, the one who provides access, Jesus comes to get him. Come on with me. Come on. You go, well, I don't know if I can go into God's throne room. I don't know if I can do that. I, I'm, I'm not quite ready. Don't worry. I got you. I'm going to do something. I don't know if he's got time for me. I don't you worry. He's got time for you. I don't know. I, you know, I haven't been there in a while. Don't worry. We're going to go in right now. And I walk in with Paul, and I throw the doors open. I say, Father, this is my friend, Paul. He needs to be with you for a little while. So I brought him to you. And there he is. And so oftentimes when we go through a hard time, so oftentimes when we're isolated and we're lost in that, we fail to see that Jesus not only chose us, but he also shepherds us. And he brings us to where we need to be. Thanks, Paul. You're a good guy. So this concept of working our access through our relationship is critical to remember. Paul keeps beating it. Our life is always with. It's like Mud and Jeff. It's like Batman and Robin. It's like the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Who else do we got? All those 
pairings that you're out there. Your life should always be Mark and Jesus, Paul and Jesus, Brendan and Jesus. We're always with. It's especially important to remember that when you're going through a hard time. And lastly, Paul says rejoice. He talks about rejoicing in suffering. He talks about the practice of rejoicing in Philippians. In fact, if you were to talk about Paul in one word, probably the best word to describe the Apostle Paul is he's the rejoicer. And when you read Paul's resume, the guy was beat up, cast out, thrown out, shipwrecked, tossed about, rejected, re-rejected, misunderstood, misrepresented. He has always rejoiced. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You know me, I'm kind of a, my hobby is neuropsychology, which is kind of a weird hobby, but I, I like it. And so every once in a while, I'm kind of watching, okay, what's happening in the research there? And the latest research that's really coming out that's fascinating is the research on happiness. And it's not happiness like we typically think of happiness, you know, because happiness typically is written off as you're only happy if good things are happening. But the new research is focused more on what I would call biblical joy. It's enduring happiness. And so I've been watching what's been coming out and, and realizing, wow, this is fascinating stuff. And one of the things that they've determined is that for most of us, the great majority of people, our brains are bent towards the negative. It's like a survival vibe. So we tend to focus on what we're afraid of. We tend to focus on what scares us, makes us avoid. We tend to uh, turn away from potential threats. And our brain is usually focused on the negative things. And so this group of researchers decide, well, Let's see if we can change some things because part of what they've discovered is that we have a happiness level that's fairly fixed. So it's, once it's set, it's set. In fact, they, they've studied all kinds of different people that have had good happenings. And so a lottery winner wins the lottery and their happiness, said happiness, goes up for a season. But about six weeks later at the longest, it drops back down to their prior level. So if they were an Eeyore and they win that lottery, well, they're happy for four to six weeks. <laughs> but when the, you know, the happiness wears out, they're like, oh, boy, I've got this heavy load of all these millions of dollars. And they're back in that pit. So they wanted to know, what can we do to change this happiness setting? Is there anything? And they got three control groups. The first control group, they asked, what we want you to do is at the end of every week, we want you to write in your journal five things that you're grateful for, you're happy for, five things can be anything. It could be like, I had a really good milkshake at Dairy Queen. Fine. Write that down. Then the second control group, they said, we want you guys to write down five really bad things that happened during the week. Five things that irritated you, annoyed you, bugged you. Write those down. Five things. And then the third group is, we just want you to write down five things. They didn't say good or bad. So they followed these groups, and they had already measured their prior happiness level and what they discovered was this group that reflected on just five things at the end of the week increased their happiness level by 25%. Just that simple practice. What they were practicing was rejoicing. Because you rejoy 
you rehearse, you remind yourself of what God has done, what God says he will do, what God has done in your life. That's why when we have testimonies and you hear someone share a God story, you go, yes. It brings hope to you, doesn't it? It brings courage to you because you go, yes, God's at work. He helped them help me. And we rejoice together. And when you're in the middle of a situation, you need to rejoice. What has God done? What has God done in your lives? What has God promised he will do? I can rejoice. So in a dark, dingy pit of a jail, there's Paul and Silas. They've been beaten with rods, cast down. They're in this murky, muddy, slimy pit with a bunch of really bonafide criminals. It's past midnight. What do they do? They rejoice. They start singing. That's weird. But Paul practices what he preaches, doesn't he? What happens, people, when Paul starts to sing? One of my preaching teachers says, I suspect that a choir of angels joined with them in their exuberance, and all of heaven shook, and soon the earth was shaking as well. You know the story, don't you? Rejoice. Kay Warren, who lost her son tragically last year to suicide, 28 years old, tragic story. The young man had battled depression all his life, and it's been very difficult for Rick and Kay. And she's, one of her therapies is to write about what she's learning. And she had read that verse, Rejoice in your suffering. And she'd said, Lord, how? How do you do that? And it took her weeks of thinking and pondering. She came up with this definition of joy. I think it's probably one of the best biblical definitions. She says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of it all. The quiet confidence that ultimately Everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God through it all. She's remembering. She's relating. She's rejoicing. And as I thought about us practicing Easter and really walking through, how do you go through when you're going through a time? I started looking around and I thought there could be no better living example than to see this fellow here. Watch this and we'll talk. But honestly, along the way, you might fall down like this. Ready? Right? <laughs> Hello! Right? So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. But this is the thing. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times... If I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. Does that make sense? But I just want you to know that it's not the end. 
It matters how you're going to finish. Are you going to finish strong? And you will find that strength to get back up like this. Nick Villas suffered. He was born with no legs or arms. He experienced the kind of rejection that you and I will never experience. People would laugh at him in elementary school, call him a freak to his face, throw things at him knowing that he couldn't defend himself. At that point in time, he couldn't see God. So at the age of 10... He tried to drown himself in the bathtub. And his parents discovered this, rescued him. He still felt this empty hole in his heart. And at the age of 12, he read an article of another Christian who was severely handicapped. And began to, out of that understanding, realize that, wait a second, I've been focusing on what I don't have when I need to focus on what I do have. I have great parents that love me and support me. And I have a God who has created me for a purpose. And so at the age 13, he started speaking to groups. First to just small groups and classes. At the end of his 13th year in school, he was soon speaking to entire high school auditoriums of students. Because he had learned the power of rejoicing. His life verse, his whole life, was lean on the promise of there is a God who works all things together for good. I am not a mistake. I am here on purpose with a purpose. And he is working it out. In his ministry, he's talked to over seven U.S. presidents. He's talked to just about every known ruler on every developed plant or country on the planet. He's talked to CEOs, CFOs. He's talked to Bill Gates. He's talked to Steve Jobs when he was alive. He's talked to full soccer stadiums. He's talking to pro athletes. He's talked to pro teams. He's talked to anybody who will listen because he has a message that there is a way with Jesus. There is a way. Not just where you get by, but where you get victory. And if you look at his YouTube videos, if you read his book, he's not just getting by. I mean, the dude, when he proposed to his wife, he now has a son, he's got a sailboat that he rigged that he can do. And he was trying to figure out how he's going to get the ring on his fiance's finger. He stuck it in his mouth. And he lost the rudder for a second, almost swallowed the ring. <laughs> Caught up with his tongue, and then said, I better get this over with quick. I love you, will you marry me? And put it on her finger. That guy's not just getting through. He's getting over. How about you? Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to do the offering, it's always so much more about what we can offer you. It's about what you want to offer to us. Lord, I would guess it happens to me where I fight for my justification. I try to make myself right. Sorry. 
There could be some people in the room right now doing that. Would you remind them right now that you're the justifier? Lord, there could be some of us that our relationship has gotten tired or distant or cold. Would you refresh our hearts? And Lord, there could be places where we're here, we're trying to do what's right, but we've lost the song. We've lost the melody in our heart. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Boy, is that true. Would you renew our joy? As we offer to you, would you offer these to us? Once again, King, in your name and honor we pray. Amen.